0: Oh, welcome everyone tonight. Um, I've been really enjoying this series. Eh? It's been a bit different, different dynamics, different ways of presenting and and speaking. But it, I don't know. It's it's been fun, you know, and it's been fantastic to have different perspectives um, on the same scriptures. And it's cool that we can look at the scriptures and go beyond the words of the page. Um, to what the word that lies behind the words um, is all about So mm-hmm. we're going to be doing that um, a bit more this evening um, We've got a fantastic topic lined up And we're going to be looking <coughs> What are you laughing about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. oh, I same <laughs> uh, change of plan? We are <laughs> oh, did, I, did I not text you? <laughs> um, so we get, like I'm um, like, um, on the board, we're going to be looking at the gifts of the Spirit, but um, like we started last week, we're just back, backtracking a little bit and we're looking at the role of identity and the role that identity plays um, and then um, as, as a foundation in our lives that all of our ministry and all of our activity comes from. Um, so we we will get to the different separate gifts of the Spirit, we promise, um, but this stuff is, uh, from my perspective, this is eternally meaningful. To be built on the right foundation means that we're going to have a foundation to work from um, that will actually mean that we, as we begin to minister to one another, at all Adds to what it is that God is doing amongst His um, amongst His body, and it means that the different gifts flow in, in alignment to His pattern. Um, so this is this is really foundational stuff, um, and um, yeah. So tonight, the next instalment of identity, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter four. So if you've got your Bible, um, open it up, Matthew chapter four, um, which is the temptation of Jesus. And this is set in a really interesting context. Um, It starts off in Matthew chapter 3 with the baptism of Jesus. He goes under the water and he comes up and he hears this voice and it says, um, And behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So God immediately speaks to him about his identity and about who he is. Um, And then from there he's led into the wilderness To be tempted by Um, Satan—that's the passage we're going to be looking at tonight. Flowing on, if you've got if you if you've got a NASB Bible, um, flowing on from there, it talks about how Jesus starts his ministry. He calls his disciples. um, He ministers in Galilee, and he comes to the famous Sermon on the Mount. So, what we're going to be looking at tonight is this flow that comes from God declaring His identity, the testing of that identity. And then moving forward into Jesus' ministry. So I think it's a a pretty vital and key part to to look at this um, process that he went through. So we'll just read through. Um, We'll read through Matthew chapter 4, and then we'll get into it. Does does someone want to read it or me? Uh, Yep.
1: Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him.
0: Thanks, man. Yeah, big passage, eh? Yeah. Big passage. Um, and a really juicy, I think, uh, juicy discussion topic for our um, our panel of uh, speakers tonight. Um. What's so funny about that? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so yeah, Jesus is led out um, by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And so we're just going to work our way starting with verse 1 um, and, um, and, and take a look at, um, at what's going on in this passage. So um, who would like to kick us off from verse 1? Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Oh, yeah.
1: Um, Yeah, that that bit to me just stands out that he was led up by the Spirit. Um, You know, so often I feel like we find ourselves in these um, circumstances that seem to be contrary to what it is that we want to be in. And we go, oh, no, how did I get here? And Jesus didn't once go, why am I in the wilderness? Why am I being led here? He was he was all in.
0: Yeah, it's massive, eh? And I think it can sometimes mess with our theology to hear that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He wasn't led by the devil into the wilderness. He was led by the Spirit, and it just so happens that the devil was there and God knew that he would be there you know um, and so I think it's it's so relevant eh? like you're saying Chris that I think it's easy to become a victim of life you know that as you go through stuff even family life you know to think man like sometimes day-to-day life can be hard and to think about man, like to have to me it's it's such a um, a dramatic change, having a victim mentality that you're stuck where you are, and you've just got to make the make the the best of a bad situation. You know, whether it be in family or in work or whatever it is that that goes down. But actually, Jesus, like you see, Chris, doesn't have that attitude, right? I kind of I kind of looked at it. So when I started reading this uh,
1: this week and just been chewing over it, I kind of looked at it like a rite of passage, which is. An interesting... An initiation. Like an initiation. So, you know, we all know that different tribes and peoples have these, these um, experiences where they go from boyhood to manhood. Now, it's an interesting one because I don't feel like the moment that he was led into the wilderness, he had only just worked out that he was God's son. I don't, I don't think that. I believe that he... I feel like there was never a time when he didn't really have his identity worked out. You know, even when you take a few steps back and the voice comes from heaven going, this is my beloved son, he's not actually speaking to Jesus. Otherwise he would have said, you are my beloved son. But he's declaring it. And so this is, there's this declaration over him, as much for anyone else as for Christ, because he already knows. He already said when he was 12, I, I must be about my father's business. And his his life's focus was going that way. So... You know, for me, I, I just have this this picture of this initiation and um, one of the kind of most, um, I guess, daunting initiation ceremonies that I've heard of is like the Maasai in Africa where they have to go out and kill a lion, right? I'm like, that's an initiation ceremony. You're a boy, here's your spear, go out and kill a lion and come back. And there's, there's this parallel there, you know, he's like, Ready to go, and it's not. It's it's not that, like I say, he's not proving to himself that he is. He's walking in who he already is, and and it's interesting that I think it's in in Mark or Luke where it has the same passage. It says that he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit, and then came out in the power of the Spirit. So it was like this process, this initiation, saw him go from. Um, you know, And forgive my theology, he was always the fullness of God but he is, he's man as well and so it's like he entered into this greater level of maturity because of this process that he went through that was completely for him and, and like I was saying before, didn't buck at it but went, this is for me
0: yeah totally i don't think you need it we need to excuse your theology (laughs) i think i think it's biblical you know because it it talks about how that that um jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered you know and so if going through you know going through life was what god saw for for jesus's own maturity how much more for us you know um and so i i think it's it's all about the the way that you see the things that come at you, eh, you know? And it's interesting to me, you know, we talk about initiation, Chris, that so often worldly initiation looks like having to do something, but actually the temptation of Jesus and the initiation that he went through was actually that he, he was tempted to do, but he had to do nothing, you know? <laughs> and 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 satan's biggest thing was like man if you're the son of if you're the son of god do something you know come on like yeah, and i think like um like we're looking at this morning with with um addressing injustice just because something can be done doesn't necessarily mean it should be done you know um and the temptation wasn't i don't think food because jesus oh, we get it we're getting ahead of ourselves but um you know He's just gone for forty days, and it says that it wasn't until after forty days that he became hungry. So, was it really tempting to him to eat food at that point? Or maybe the temptation was something more than physical food to feed his body, you know? Um, And so, um, that could be a good transition, if you know, to to jump, um, you know, to jump into um, the next verses. Um, So, verse three. Um, says this, I oh, sorry, verse 2 And after he fasted forty days and forty nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I'd, I'd love to hear from you, Sanja, what what does it mean to live on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God?
2: Well, it was interesting because this, um, a couple of nights ago, he woke me up and the Spirit was talking to me um, in regards to this, and the reality is that this happens to us all the time, that we are in situations where the flesh is screaming or the circumstances are screaming to us, right? And so he was hungry. There was a physical hunger. And it was in that place that the temptation came to have his, his um, need have to come from the physical realm. And, and Satan was saying, It was basically seeing if he would demonstrate that his life source had to be coming from the temporal. And in that place, Jesus said, no way, my life source doesn't come from the temporal, it comes from the spirit. And for us, that's where it happens. It happens in, you know, and it was happening to me that night. I wasn't very well, and it was like, my, my go-to isn't how do I get better, how do I do all the physical things, it's you are my source and, and you are my source in the extremities of life, in the extremities of the situations that happen and if that hadn't been sorted I don't think he would have got through the next temptations. Because unless we know where our source is, we'll never get to the place where we can say, go away, Satan. So there was a sense that um, this this was an absolute foundational, um, and it needs to be settled for us, that our source is him. Our source is who he is and what he says And that's what we're living from. And anything that is supplied in the natural comes through from that, not we fix the temporal, and then we, if we've got time, we seek God. (laughs) Do you see what I mean? You know, we we (laughs) pamper to the flesh, and then if we've got time, we'll seek God. It's not like that. Mm -hmm. And that's not who we are as sons of God. We're born of the Spirit, and so we feed from the Spirit. We're not born of the flesh And this is the thing that he was talking to me about. You know, we are now children of promise, and we we have always been children of promise. And to understand that that's who we are, we live because of a promise and from the promise. So we don't live because of the flesh and from the flesh. Our whole mode of operation—it's not only our identity, but it's the way we operate now, as we operate from the promises of God.
0: I just want to come back to what you're saying about, like, this, like, way of operating where you know you make sure that you've got everything in line, and then with the last remaining part of your time or your energy or your effort, that's what's put aside for God, you know. And I think it's such a <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Such an opposite way of um, of doing things, and actually, he has become our entire life source, and everything that we do, and everything that we're a part of. Sorry, I've got a, I've got a drink, little guys. Thanks. Yeah. Um, um, is um comes from him. So our starting point is our lives are laid down for him, for his purposes, and he shapes how we live, where we spend our time, what our priorities are. And so all of a sudden we can't use not having enough time as an excuse for not knowing him, you know, because it was never about that. It was always about the surrender of our hearts towards him. And every single human being on the face of this earth has exactly the same hours in the day as every single other person. You know, and so how is it that we can say, oh, we just don't have enough time, you know, when it's not not about time, it's about it's about surrender, and it's about priority. It's about another life source that we live from, that then defines our time and everything else we do. So. I'll
1: just have have a thought about that, and um, you know, it's interesting the question because I automatically go, "Oh well, you know, if Jesus was going to, he could command anything and it would happen." But who who trusts the tempter? You know what I mean? Like he says. Uh, If you're the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But up until this point, we haven't seen Jesus do any miracles. And if he came out in the power of the Spirit, and he only did what he saw his Father doing, that didn't originate with the Father. So he never saw the Father commanding stones to become bread, therefore he didn't do it. So when he turns up and he says, Why are you worried about your food? Why are you worried about your clothing? He's not just saying it because it's a good idea. He's actually lived that after 40 days of not eating, you know, he's, he's right in it. And so that's the, the spirit behind the, the words, you know. And I just go, man, if he had turned around and gone, that's a good idea, he, he probably would have, oh, I don't know, but let's say he goes, become bread, there's every opportunity for them to not even become bread because he hasn't come out in the power of the spirit. And, and it says that after he's gone through the temptations, the angels came and ministered to him. I'll bet you they turned up with bread
0: <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, that's massive
2: I, I think that the thing is that he's not drawn into the specific thing that Satan's trying to draw him into um, so he he is he's got his eyes on the unseen, and it's the same with the second one you know he he doesn't even um, talk to him about the pinnacle. He doesn't talk to him about all this stuff. That's good. He just speaks what he hears the Father say and yeah. what he knows of the Father. Yeah. And, um, and th- th- you know, the thing is that it's all very well to say, well, that's Jesus, that's Jesus in the desert. And if I was in the desert, maybe I would have the same capacity. <sighs> no, it's now here yeah. in, in our everyday life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, we need to realize that he went through this as an example to us. He 's yeah. the forerunner yeah. and the the reasons that he has um, has gone through this is for us to show us how um, how it works out in the in the reality of everyday life
0: yeah. and I think this to me this is foundational when it comes to the gifts um, the the gifts of the spirit because if our life source is if our life source is an earthly source, then we'll see the gift of the spirit as achieving earthly and temporary outcomes you know so all of a sudden a healing becomes for the sake of the physical transformation of the person as opposed to the glory of God who's the healer you know um, and so this is this is why we're looking at this because this heartbeat is so is so key all of a sudden if we if we see actually like uh, if we flow from a place of identity, the the gifts aren't um, essential to achieve earthly aims, but they're essential to see this um, eternal kingdom established in the hearts and the minds of people, a kingdom that brings glory to God as we minister to him and to one another. Th- does that make sense? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's an entirely different way of seeing things you know i think the church for for many for many years the gospel has been a means to transforming society you know healing has become a means of evangelism and as opposed to all of these things that god has given being to build and equip the saints for, um, to become mature, so that God would be glorified through the church, that a world would look and see the the maturity and the glory of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Now, do they? I'm not, what I'm not saying is that they don't achieve. Natural and good ends, they absolutely do. It's just a second place priority as opposed to the first, you know. And so, so I think it's not saying that they don't, it's just saying that identity comes first, understanding God's eternal purpose comes first, and then all ministry flows um, as a result. So.
2: And it comes out of intimacy with the Father, doesn't it? Because when you look at the second one, you know, um, this thing about. Um, being being up on this high pinnacle. I mean, we can read lots of things into that. What does the temple mean? Um, and what does the pinnacle of the temple mean? You know, um, wow. Can you imagine how um, if I threw myself off the pinnacle of the temple, which is the center of where God is, and the angels Caught me! What an amazing opportunity to glorify God that would be, you know. So, like the greatest idea doesn't qualify us at all, and doesn't it uh, doesn't um, and and shouldn't instigate um, a, a response at all. Just as we keep on hearing that that Jesus. Didn't initiate He didn't initiate anything at all But he only did what he saw the father doing And said what he heard the father speaking So that requires a intimacy with the father And a walking in the spirit That is for us It is the only mode of operation If we walk by the flesh Then we're going to do all these things That sound like a great idea Including using the gifts so it must be that that, that surrender, the, this root of self and flesh has to die, you know, otherwise we're going to be walking in the flesh using the gifts of the Spirit, and it all comes back to the same, the same issue, doesn't it? The gospel has come, and the heart of the gospel is to kill and crucify our flesh, you know, the work of that gospel requires that to happen in us. So there's this total surrender, and now we're bond slaves. So a bond slave is listening. Remember, he's got his ear absolutely pierced to the door of the master's house. So he's only going to do what he hears the father say.
1: At, um. It also seems like this this temptation ramps up a little bit, you know, the first one's just about what you can do for yourself and your hungry stomach, the next one sounds like a really good Christian idea, you know, because now it's got some scripture behind it, it must be the right thing. (laughs) (laughs) This is what God said, and it kind of has echoes of the the serpent, you know, hasn't God said, with a little twist on it
0: totally and i think sometimes the last elements of self aren't actually in that big outward sins they're actually in spirituality you know like it's it's the the temptation to do for god and to be seen (coughs) to do you know like this this place where this whole um scenario goes down like sandra you were saying is it's in the at the pinnacle of the temple it's it's like in the rock. It's like in the rock car park, you know, and as everyone's streaming in for a Sunday morning yeah, service, it's yeah. like the most <laughs> publicly religious place, and um, and the, the temptation is to to somehow, like, in in ministry, just subtly um, swing it so that people are like, wow, like. You're so incredible, you know. You, or um, what? What, <laughs> yeah. what? What? An amazing miracle! You must, Jesus! You must be such a man of God, you know. And the the temptation is in that. I think. And once again, these are temptations that that, that Satan thinks are temptations. When you actually read it through, it's actually not a temptation to him. No, but in Satan's mind, there's the, still the potential for it. Um, you know, as it's just that there would be some kind of credit that comes back to him that that Jesus would somehow gain his identity through what he does and through his religious actions and through his religious ministry as opposed to being secure in Christ you know and I think it's really it 's almost laughable when you look back at back at it in hindsight that Jesus would need that to inform his identity, you know, and yet I think that 's like. While it's easier to look back on Jesus' temptations, it's this, the same thing as playing out day in, day out Absolutely. in, in modern-day church community, you know? It. Uh,
1: it, it, this is um, just my perspective as a builder. I go, man, it would be really hard to stand on the pinnacle of the temple. I just see this point, <laughs> and Jesus is kind of like going, man, get me out of here. This is no temptation at all. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, it's difficult to stand on a roof.
0: Cool. Any any um any questions so far? You have a comment?
3: I just um when I see what satan's trying to do and because you're you're talking about how Mm -hmm. jesus only did what the father he saw the father doing Mm -hmm. only did the father's will Mm -hmm. and then you've got satan bringing his will and so for jesus to align himself to satan's will by doing anything that satan asked him to do he was going from one kingdom into another kingdom and that's why you know later on it says if you bow before me And so it's Satan doing what he's always wanted to do and receive the glory that was only destined to the Father. And so he's working his little schemes in there. And and if Jesus had succumbed to any of those things, I think Mm -hmm. the whole of history would be different.
2: (laughs) The other thing I see, um, and I don't know whether I'm just reading something into it, but it seems like the first two, he's saying, if you are the son of God, the second one, he doesn't. And I feel like, the more that Jesus is um, in in the presence of Satan, the more satan 's deceitfulness is actually exposed, so it comes as you know a little deceitful let 's just get your eyes on the things that are natural um, and then it 's like let 's see if we can we can get your your um, the lusts of the flesh going. but yeah. at the end it's just straight out worship yeah. me. yeah but that was always his intent in number one and number two. Yeah. Yeah. And this is it's like the true authority, this true spiritual authority and identity that we have, light will expose the darkness. And the more um, the, the more that we come into the revelation of who we are, the the deceitfulness won't it won't be deceitful. We will see right through it, yeah, right. and we'll see what the the core of the thing is because we know who we are, mm, and it'll be very very plain.
1: Yeah. Right. Sounds to me like it was interesting. You said the lust of the flesh because that's what I read when I see that. You know, it says in First John. Uh, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world Lust of the flesh, mm. lust of the eyes and the pride of life And the first one, absolutely the flesh, mm. the eyes all well, this is going to be spectacular mm. Pride of life, all this is yours
2: mm. Mm. You know, You'll be the man mm. yep. So it's
1: the same old trick, same as in the garden mm.
2: yep. um, Talking about the garden <laughs> Can I divert? <laughs> yeah. I'll go for it <laughs> Go for it, okay Um. Just in the last few months, he's, he's shown me that Satan was actually assigned a job in the garden. And this really helps us when we understand. <laughs> so um, Satan was told by God, wasn't he, that you're going to bruise the heel of the seed, right? And then he said to Adam and this, your seed is going to crush the head, right? Now, we, we understand that primarily Jesus is the fulfillment of the one who came and destroyed the works of the enemy, right? We also have that assignment, but if you've ever thought of what it's like to have something bruising or, or biting at your heel, can you see it? You can't, can you? So there's the very nature of deception that all you understand when you're walking is that something's hampering my walk. And it, it was like he showed me that I used to, back in the day, I used to think that there was this little this little button, there was this little chink in my armour that Satan knew, he kept on pressing on it. And so my response was, you know, go away, get behind me, and all that. And I actually didn't realize that maybe, because there's a key truth that Satan can only attack flesh, he can't attack the spirit. And so what was coming up for me in my personal life was things that were around parenting. And so... Any time anyone made a comment about my parenting I would manifest flesh whether I outwardly or inwardly and that until that manifestation became so out there I didn't realize that that was the very thing that God wanted to expose and show me that the whole reason why that was continually happening, it was like a cycle going over and over and over. It wasn't because of my parenting, it was because of my identity. And unless that had come out and that had manifested to the massiveness it had, and I came to the end of myself and I screamed out for help, instead of doing what I'd been doing all those years, which was covering over, covering over, go away Satan, covering over, when it all came out, he was then able to show me that It wasn't just what looked like the the little chink in my armour. It was a root system, and it was this root of self that had its identity. I had my identity in what I did. So what I did as a parent, what, what I felt God had assigned me to do, that was the most important thing to me in the world. And when it looked in my eyes that I'd failed that... I wanted to depart the world because I felt I'd let God down. Do you see what I mean? It's a very dangerous place. And because it's a dangerous place, He exposes it. So Satan's in the garden, he's bruising at our, our heel. And until we actually turn and face that and say, Why am I manifesting this? and we stop covering over we we at that point, we we're in a place to actually hear the Holy Spirit say, well, that's actually because your root system's all wacko, yeah. you know? And in that process, he brought me into life, uprooted that. He said, that's not where your identity is. Your identity is in who you are, who I say you are. It's got nothing at all to do with what you do. So don't discount these things. And And I think this is what religion does. It covers over our failings. It covers over these manifestations of flesh. And actually God wants to use that, you know, to set us free. And then it really crushes at the heel of that thing, at the head of that thing, I should say, and brings us into life.
0: That's great. Just can I say one thing and then you can say (laughs) I think that was fantastic. That was definitely not a diversion at all. That's <laughs> totally what we're talking about. And I, t- to me, the, the words I put to it is um, is this, that that condemnation is not a sin issue; it's an identity issue, you know. And and that if we're feeling a sense of condemnation, no time ever was it because of our sin, because unless we're non believers. It's, it's an identity issue because when we're in Christ, we actually um, we actually have a new identity, and we don't we're not like Sandra was sharing last week. We're not convicted based off our sin. Uh, sorry, we're not condemned for our sin. We're convicted based on righteousness, and so anytime we feel a sense of condemnation, it's not actually because of the thing that we're feeling condemned over. It's because we haven't realized who we are in Him, you know, and that's a completely different way of seeing things that to me brings ultimate freedom you know so sorry what were you gonna say Chris
1: oh um so just on what you're saying there Sandra I um I was thinking you know the moment so Peter had his own time of that same same situation right in the in the garden and um I, I love what Christ says to him he says Simon Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat but I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail and when you have returned to me Strengthen your brethren. And Then Peter turns up and he says, "But Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and death." And then he said, "I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me." And so, you know, just just what you're talking about, and and um, you know what I was saying before about uh, Christ in the wilderness doesn't go, "Why am I here, God? Why have you let this happen to me?" The the situation that was meant. For Peter's destruction turned out to be his actual birth into this new life, you know, the death of self.
2: And did you notice that he uses Peter's flesh name when it's to do with Satan, and he uses his name of promise. So he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you. That's massive. But Peter. So God... Jesus always sees us as the children of promise that we are he always believes in us and it's like that That to me is massive, that is our identity yeah so whose voice will we listen to cool should
0: we move on to the next verse All right, we're kind of done verse 6. Uh, verse 7, Jesus said to him, uh, on the other hand it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. All right, we're kind of done that one. Verse 8, again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only.
1: Um, To me, that sounds like um, there's that time later on after Christ has done these miracles and the people, he perceived that the people were going to come and take him by force and make him a king. You know, and he's like... He's already, it's resolved already, you know, he, turn, he came up into this situation having it resolved, like this this wasn't the resolving of it, <laughs> he already knew, and then we see it outworked in a smaller capacity, but you can see why it was no temptation to him, he says he didn't commit himself to man because he knew what was in man, well he also knew what was in Satan as well, didn't he? So, <laughs> it's
0: like, What? And to me, this is a place of identity where the temptations are no longer temptations, you know? Yeah. Where Jesus, who's the son of God and was there at the beginning when the worlds were created, is all of a sudden being offered something that actually belongs to him, you know? <laughs> it's like, it's like yeah, Chris and coming like- and saying, hey, would you like a, um, you know, your, the maroon jersey that you're wearing? You know? It's like, <laughs> it actually belongs to him. That like, oh, yeah. it's, it's there, There's nothing in him, that he makes him think that he needs it, but I think to me this is with all three of these temptations, like and, and each of them they're, they're actually temptations to Satan because that 's the way that he thinks, and he operates yeah, and right. he 's trying to manifest his life inside of Jesus, yeah. so I think like yeah. he's only he can only operate by what he sees yeah that's good. Um, as as, be, yeah, as being need, you know. And so I think that, to me, it's, it's fascinating that, yeah, in, in offering all of the kingdoms to Jesus, it's just he, he knows that th- they belong to him anyway, you know. And so.
2: It's interesting um, that in Luke 1 to 13, which is the equivalent passage about the temptations, at the end um, in verse 13 it says, when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time and then you see in John 14:30 Jesus is saying to the disciples the rule of the world is coming and he has nothing in me isn't that powerful yeah. Yeah. the thing is that he knew that the disciples could well track record going interpret his death on a cross as being rejected by God because it says cursed is everyone on the tree. They could interpret it as Satan had won, right? That in itself is evidence that they were still thinking and judging by their flesh, which meant that their source was not every word he was saying. There is, there is a, a, a judging and being righteous as a judge that he has for us. He has called us to reign and rule with him, right? And I was thinking again in the middle of the night, King David used his flesh authority to get Bathsheba. He had every right as a fleshly king to do what he did to get Bathsheba. He had ultimate power, right? But because and, and the whole scenario happens, so he he uses manipulation and control To get what he wants, a flesh desire, right? And then he has Bathsheba. Then Nathan comes. What's really interesting is that David can give a righteous judgment in regards to this hypothetical case that Nathan brings, but he is not a righteous judge. So he can know what's right and make a righteous judgment, but he just can't live it. Yeah? And so when God calls us and has chosen us to be kings and priests, he has called us not to know right and wrong, he has called us to be righteous and to live righteously. And that means that we've got to come to this understanding that David went to, (laughs) that he can't do it himself, he tried and he was found out and found wanting and he was exposed, his inner realm was exposed and that was what caused him to come and cry out his greatest moment where he cried out for truth in his inmost being Right, and so he became a righteous judge and so this process, it's this is for us, but we have to allow God to do what God wants to do in our innermost being. And that that does take our total surrender and our abandonment to him and, and this process of being a bond slave. It's not going to come because we've got it all figured out. And how many times do we see in Christendom that people are making judgments about what's right and wrong all the time but they can't live it. And there you have the very basis of hypocrisy. The very thing that actually doesn't demonstrate the nature of God. The thing that gives the bad name to in the world of the church because we have no love because we say this but we can't live it. You see what I'm saying? So this process causes the. – it is the preparation. And as, as Greg said, this, you know, you are not worthy of me. You are not prepared. The preparation is this process of him, you know, having access into our innermost being and doing this deep work, a rerouting us, pulling out the root of self, and planting us. And this is all to do with identity. Who are we? Yeah?
1: Uh, it's just just um, pretty much the same thing again, you know, this, um, this identity and, and sight, this truly seeing and not living for what's temporary, um, and I was just thinking about how uh, when Christ stood before Pilate, and Pilate asked him if he's a king, you know, and he says, yeah I am, but not of this world, and it's the same thing, so the devil offers him everything of this world, and Christ's like, I've actually truly seen something. I'm living from what I've seen and what I know. I don't need to, you know, there's this, this passage, um, John the Baptist says, he says, uh, when his disciples see Christ, he says, a man can receive nothing except it's given to him from heaven. And, you know, you just see that in the life of Christ. He's not grasping for stuff or trying to grab anything. He's completely at rest, confident that whatever he needs, his father's going to give him. So he's not out there trying to amass anything. In fact, he let everything go, Absolutely. including his life. Yeah. Um, so for me, that's just massive. He's like, regardless of what anyone around me is saying and what you're offering me, I know who I am.
0: And to me, this is where the gifts then come back in again because the first thing I think that Abraham needed to do with when he. Re- when he received his, the gift of his son, was to let him go because he had greater perspective and greater sight for what the son was to achieve. You know, and I think to me this is this is so key. And then moving into looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit, because all of a sudden um, we we don't uh, need to minister out from a place of um, yeah, lack of identity. Eh? You know. Um, so I guess the, the the big kind of the big ticket question is obviously the themes is the gifts of the of the spirit. What um, you know, what, what is what is the role of identity and what is what we've looked at tonight? How is that relevant to then ministering in the gifts and functioning from this place of of identity?
1: I'm just processing the question
0: <laughs>
2: I, again I think it comes down to flesh and spirit to me because um, you know we're, we're, we're either living from our flesh or we're living by the spirit and and there is no option with the Lord <laughs> you know what I mean he's given us his Holy Spirit the 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 death and resurrection of Christ is our victory, you know, and um, all all that we are and then all that we do would come out of that. And um, so it can't come from the flesh. It just, yeah.
0: <laughs> it flows from a full place, eh, as opposed to an empty place. And from a place of being able to to minister based on knowing who you are, without needing any kind of appreciation for um, from other people, needing to be seen to do, needing to do to please God, any of that that sort of thing, because that will have they'll lead to self destruction, right? You know, yeah. but ministering because Jesus came in to the wilderness full, hey, or oh, he he came out of the wilderness full, and I think to me. You know, he came out full and then started his ministry, you know. And so it's at the point where we've actually let go of the things that we've been given, had ourselves rearranged, our thinking changed, our attitudes changed, our motivations changed, that all of a sudden um, we can then minister accurately um, based on the genuine building up of the body of Christ and not because we're tempted to do anything in any way for either any other motive apart from being in him and being in love with him you know so
1: well for me I hear um, uh, a seed reproduces after its kind so if you if you're empowered and you're operating out of the flesh you know and we've seen that and um, the most classic example for me is Saul who is a man who's made king over the nation and I had his rash promises like, if anyone eats today, I'm going to kill them, or um, you know, uh, doesn't do the thing that God's commanded him. And you know, going back to my other message, it's obedience versus sacrifices, and you know, ones where we get to choose what we want based on our preferences, or we allow Him to serve His own purposes through us. And if He's in the business of reproducing His own kind in us, then He's going to have his work outworked through little Christ's rather than a bunch of people with good ideas and good intentions? Totally.
0: And Saul was the pinnacle of a gifted man. Eh? You know, he like he was chosen because he was a what a head and shoulders above everyone else. He in terms of if we were talking about being gifted, he was <laughs> he was your go-to man. You know, and. And yet, he finds himself in a position where his abilities then became about serving himself, and it just—I just, just happen to be reading this passage this afternoon, actually. You know, and you know, like it, it, it talks about Saul and how he—he um, he was given a commandment by God to go and kill every man, woman, and child, and animal that were part of the Amalekites, but when he was given this commandment and he comes back to Samuel and he's like, cool, I've, I've done it. I've, I've done what you asked. And Samuel's like, what's that? what's that barring I hear behind you? And he's like, oh, they're the, they're the sheep that I've taken. Um, he said, that, um, he said um, uh, something like, I was too afraid to face the people who wanted the sheep. You know? And so he was swayed by other people's expectations and what people needed as opposed to the Word of God that came, he wasn 't able to minister in his gift to fulfill the commandment of God, but he was able to minister in his gift to meet the needs of the people and that 's when god says i i, I don 't i don't and and he goes on from there to say, and the other reason is i i didn 't listen to your word, and I kept these sheep so that I could build an altar for you and sacrifice." what I, I sacrifice what I've gained for you and and Samuel's like oh, I prefer what is it yeah. obedience over sacrifice you know <laughs> and I think that this is like what, when we come back to the gifts God is saying I don't need you to minister for me I want you to be obedient to me you know because there's a greater expression of my love and my goodness and my glory on the earth that comes from this place of identity, this place of faithfulness, then what comes from your ministry and your own ability to do and serve for me according to your intention, you know. So I think it's powerful. Eh?
2: You hit on a real good thing with that fear of man thing, and I think that is um, that's absolutely integral. Have a listen to um, uh, um, Philippians two five. Have this attitude in yourselves. Which is also in Christ Jesus. That's have have a don't put on. That's got to be in. It's got to be built by Him, right? Who, although He existed in the form of God, did not regard regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. (laughs) Would we grasp at our gift? You know, if if. If we would grasp at anything that we do or anything that that God might ask us to, to minister to, that's a good sign that our identity's in it, yeah? Um, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant... And being made in the likeness of men, and I think it's in Galatians it talks. Um, Paul talks about, "I would not be a bondservant servant if I was still pleasing man." Th- th- those two things are mutually exclusive. So if if I'm still under the fear of man, if I'm still influenced into, a- and pressured into doing things or saying things or whatever um, because of the fear of man that I'm actually not a true bond servant yet. I haven't died. My flesh, myself, is still living and it's still saying I need this. So it, all of these things are this inner realm, isn't it? That, and it's the freedom. So a bond, bond servant is the most free place. Because you're free from yourself, which is the very thing that the word of the gospel has come to set us free from us. It's awesome.
0: That's great. Just mindful of the time. It would be cool to have time for some questions, um, and then I'd be pretty keen for us to get to um, discussion tonight, even if it's only for 15 minutes or so. Um, So does anyone have any questions about what we've been talking about tonight, or any questions um, even from the last, um, last couple of weeks that you've been pondering on? Or comments, if you want, Nick.
3: I <laughs> am <laughs> welling up. Um, the, the whole time we've been speaking, you know, I had the picture of Saul and David, and then you guys touched, and I'm like, wow, that's awesome. Um, there's a real awesome picture and an awesome parallel between Satan and Jesus and Saul and David. And when we're talking about the gifts, it's like Saul was given what David was given. The exact same thing, but ministered with a different heart. In the end, you know, he had his failings, he had his but there was a desire for him to meet the will of God and do the will of God. And um, and when it, you know, when we're talking about the kingdoms, you know, we've been touching on the kingdoms. He said, "I'll give you the kingdom." Well, I actually believe he had the authority to give him the kingdoms, but he was giving them the kingdoms of this world, which he had been he's lord over. He was given. He was called the God of this world for a time. And so there's this transitional period that we're seeing there where Satan actually has the authority to give him the kingdoms, but Jesus sees something in the distance, which is a greater reality, where he will be over not only the kingdoms of this world, but everything. And so he doesn't need to submit to the things now, because he sees the promise and he sees that which is to come. And so he's walking in that.
1: And you see this this other position in Christ where he's not afraid to submit at all. Mm -hmm. Like he... You know, I guess this this identity thing where he goes, I know I'm a son regardless of anything, he turns up to be baptized by John the Baptist and John the Baptist is like, No way, this is this is not how it's supposed to be And Christ is like actually this is exactly how it's supposed to be and me being baptized by you doesn't change who I am. Absolutely. And and I mean his whole life was like that anyway, but that that and the washing of the disciples' feet are just two standout examples for me where he goes if I am who I am and I 'm living like this, what is it saying to you that the greatest will
0: absolutely be the least? Yeah, Any other questions or comments? Well, quiet quiet night, tough crowd. <laughs>
3: Sorry, I gave, you gave me two mics earlier and then I didn't get to use them. So. <clears throat> I think I thought another interesting thing from what we were reading there, when Satan first, the first temptation Satan comes out with, he does not say, it is written. Yeah, that's you know, he just comes out, turn these stones and make them bread, you know, and he just comes out. And then when Jesus comes and says, ah, but it is written, my Father has written, you know, I go by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the next temptation Satan says, oh, but it is written. And I think, for us as believers, when I mean, you were talking about it, you know we with the proclamation of things, proclaiming the Word of God, and all these different things is you know there's this this identity thing we need to come into, this understanding of the promises of God because we can proclaim them as much as we like these promises of God and not actually come into the promises of God if not willing to submit to the will and the purpose of God and to actually understand that the only way we're gonna come into these promises is by submitting to them in everything, you know? And so we can start throwing scripture around and all the rest of it, Satan's gonna come at us or other believers will come at us with scriptures that can counter what we're what we're hoping for, you know?
0: Alright, last chance. Oh sweet.
2: Um, so we commented that the things that Satan tempted Jesus with because jesus knew who he was weren't really temptations so if they weren't really temptations then what was the purpose or
0: great question any thoughts
1: yeah i um i have I have some questions around that too actually so I've been looking into that so initially when I when I read that in Matthew it says um, that the tempter came so the first one was written the, the first question was the tempter I, I'm going from memory here I think it says and the tempter came to him and said this and then Satan said this You know. so it, I mean it's the same person but um, it's interesting because I think it's in James it says um, that everyone is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lusts and enticed and when temptation is followed it gives birth to sin and sin gives birth to, to death and so there's a I think I'm going to say dichotomy is this double play of things going on there it's, it's a big word it's a big word I might get caught out um, <laughs> um, and and so in Matthew it doesn't say that he was tempted but in Mark it says that he was tempted so I'm kind of like oh what does that mean you know um, And I feel like we have this dual nature of Christ where he's fully God and fully man. So He, I I believe that he actually was aware of these things and was able to see the temptation for what it was because of what it is that he had seen. So they were a temptation in the sense that it was a platter of food that was offered to him and he was hungry, let's say. It was no temptation... Because he absolutely knew what was on 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 the
0: line. I see it as kind of like Abraham Abraham and Isaac, you know that, um, you know, like God asks Abraham to offer up his son as a sacrifice, but then we hear in the New Testament that he knew that he would raise him from the dead, you know, and so it, to me it's the same sort of thing. There's an there's an opportunity there that. It, it, Looking through the eyes of the flesh, it's it looks like loss, you know, but actually, when you see it from a a, a bigger perspective, it's not loss at all. Based on what it is that you see, a greater, you know, a a greater perspective. To to me, it's the same, the same thing that's that's going on, you know. And I I see, like Chris said, it's really interesting that the temptation comes because someone is enticed by his own lust, you know. I almost see it like as a magnet in you and a magnet in the world, and Either you are because of your own lust you're drawn to what the world offers, but when that magnet gets flipped around, all of a sudden, the things that you were originally drawn to because of the reality of Christ within you it actually becomes almost repulsive not the it wasn 't the food that was repulsive, it was operating from um, from a self centered wellspring that do you see what i 'm saying like, and so that yeah that to me.
2: I do think that we go through tests, yeah. and we go through pressures, and um, he's the forerunner, you know. Um, it's interesting, the Passion Version puts Matthew 4, verse 1 and says, afterward the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the lonely wilderness in order to reveal his strength against the accuser by going through the ordeal of testing. Nice. You know, and, and sometimes it's like, do we recognize that um, he uses everything <laughs> to to work out his purposes in us, you know, and um, that includes all the testing everything that he revealed my experiences everything that he reveals he tests yeah, that's right, yeah. because yeah. you know he had just said you know so the pattern is put here, he had just said, "You are my beloved son, yeah. mm-hmm. then that gets tested. Yeah. You know, so if, if he's received that, and you know, our our um, understanding is when we receive a revelation, then God will allow testing to happen to see what's produced under pressure. And again, if it's not Christ, well, that's the greatest opportunity to say. Lord, that's why is that coming out when it's not you? Yeah. You know, yeah. if it is Christ, that's a win as well. Yeah. So both things are always for our good. Yeah.
1: We look at um, testing like it's the worst thing sometimes. Eh? we go, oh no, don't don't put me under pressure and don't put me in this situation. And yet, if everything that can be shaken is being shaken, then it's the greatest thing because only that which can't be shaken is going to remain. Yeah.
0: And I think, sorry, just one more, one more thing, because it's such a great question. <laughs> um, I, I think it's it's so important to not see what we're describing as an emotionless, feelingless process. You know, I think about Jesus going th- to the cross. You know, and it says that that would have been horrific physical pain, not to mention everything else that was going on in that moment. And so, what we're saying is is not that that there isn't pain or that when Jesus wasn't hungry or um, or anything like that, but it's saying, it says, but for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So what, it's, so what it's bringing to light is a greater life and a greater power on the inside that doesn't null and void the trials and struggles and hardship of life, but it lifts you and your perspective and your thinking to to operating in a in a higher and greater way, so... Cool. Other no, last thoughts, questions? Oh, I knew there would be some questions.
2: Thanks, Sam. I um, just in Luke four one, again, it's telling this little story. Um, it says, and then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for forty days by the devil. So. I'm just sitting here, I've got no answers or anything, saying he's been led by the Spirit into the wilderness and being tempted for 40 days and we only hear three examples of it's only recorded three examples of the way he was tested so I think it's a pretty long time
1: yeah, yeah. I reckon um, one of the Not a direct response to that, but just another thought to go with it is, um, you know, Christ is referred to as the, is it the last Adam and the second man? And so, you know, I feel like in this period of testing, if he wasn't Christ, he wouldn't have stood. Because it was a real real test, but, but who he was was revealed through the testing. And realistically, there were only ever two people that had a shot at this. The way I see it Adam and Christ and so Adam had the same warning and didn't stand um, and so we're naturally the fruit of that and Christ turns up to do what Adam couldn't
0: do and his life is being reproduced in us so that when the same temptations come we can stand not as Adam did and crumble but as Christ did, you know. So. And
2: and getting back to identity, do we identify with Adam or do we identify yeah. with Christ? Yeah. Yeah. Who is who who are we? Yeah. You know, yeah. these are big questions. Because if we're constantly referring, but I'm of Adam, then we haven't received the gospel or the work of the gospel. Yeah. Because the work of the gospel makes us of Christ and in Christ. Yeah. Entirely different.
0: Cool. All right, thanks team. Um, so probably for the last 10, 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes, um, we'll jump into this question. Um, so it's the same question that, that we had last week, but we didn't get into it. So why is having a revealed position of sonship so essential when it comes to the use of spiritual gifts? So it'd be cool to discuss that, um, and feel free to discuss anything else we've, we've talked about around identity and that as well. Cool.